Well, good morning, Poetry Baptist Church. Thank you all for being here this morning. God is doing great things in and through the life of this little church. Great things, great things. Let's pray together. God, we come here this morning humbly before you, the King of glory, with a spirit of worship and praise. God, all of the stuff that we can bring to you is, in our power, filthy rags. Worse than stinky socks. It's garbage. And so, God, not because of anything that is of any value in us, but because of the value that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, placed in us at the cross, that he would die in our place that he would endure condescension from heaven, coming into a world that we wrecked because of our sin in Eden, because of our rebellion and our desire to glorify ourselves and to ignore and reject you. And yet you still came, Lord Jesus. And not only did you come, but you came as a servant. You came as a servant, you went to the cross... You allowed yourself to die in the flesh and to go into a tomb. But as we all know, that's not the end of the story. We know on that third day that you broke forth from that tomb. And in glory, that resurrected body stayed on earth as a testimony of your goodness and your glory and your power as the eternal Son. And so, God, by the power of the Spirit, in this place and in our hearts, We pray that our worship would be a testimony to you, that our worship would be acceptable, that people would be touched, lives would be changed, and that much would be made of your name in and through your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're continuing in our uh, sermon series, the Equip series through the Gospel of Matthew, so I want to ask you to turn... To Matthew chapter 9. Last week, we were reading a story about these two men who were demon-possessed. And Jesus and his disciples, they came to the other side, and these two demon-possessed men ran up. Jesus cast out those demons. And it seems in a lot of ways that that was the end of the story. Because in 9, verse 1, it says, He got into the boat and crossed over and came to his own town. There's not a lot of hoopla. There's not a lot of telling or narrative about what did Jesus do with those demon-possessed men? What we find out in Luke's Gospel, it may not be the same story, or it may, we don't really know, but there was another demon-possessed man that actually begged Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. And it turns out that Jesus turned him away. Jesus turned someone away. Jesus said to him, return home and relate, describe, narrate in great detail all that God has done for you. So my first point today, you need to be a witness. The Greek word is martyr, a martyr, where Jesus has you right now. So many of us find ourselves waiting. Years ago, a friend of mine worked at a big corporation, 
And they were climbing the ladder. And it was always that thing that was just around the corner. That's when life was going to begin. That's when the good stuff was going to happen. When I get that next promotion, when I get that new car, when I move into my new condo, that's when life is really going to begin. And tragically, as Christians, many of us do the exact same thing. When I, when I become a member of that new church, when, when the church starts that new program, when something happens, that's when I'm really going to dedicate my life to Jesus. And then when that thing comes, we say, you know, I'm, I'm really busy, Jesus. I'm kind of overwhelmed in life right now. I've got a lot of stuff going on with my kids, with soccer practice, with school, with work. And I know I said this thing that I was, I was really, I was really, 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 really. How many times is that? Really, really going to follow you this time. But I promise that when that next thing happens, that's what I'm going to do. See, ministry in life isn't just around the corner. It doesn't happen after you graduate from seminary. It doesn't happen when you get into full-time ministry. You're either doing ministry right now, where Jesus has you in life, or you're not. And if you want to be equipped with authority, if you truly want to worship, then it needs to happen right now. Whatever your circumstance, whatever position God has you in, and that's a fragrant aroma. I want you to look... So he got into a boat, verse 1, crossed over and came to his own town. I know this may seem rudimentary. It may seem incredibly basic. But as a matter of fact, Jesus was on mission. Pastor, we know that. Jesus was on mission. And the reason why I bring that up, he got into the boat and he was moving relentlessly towards a goal. He was moving towards the cross. And nothing was going to stop him because of his love for you. See, we live in a world today, and it was popular back in the 90s. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And most of the people that would tell us, as Christians, that would quote and say, is that what Jesus would do? And most of us as Christians would go, you know, I really don't know. If it's something that's kind and it's nice, then Jesus probably would have done that thing. But I don't really know because I don't really spend a whole lot of time in the book. I don't really know. So I leave it to people who are lost, who don't know anything about Jesus, who don't recognize Him, who don't worship Him, to tell me what it is that Jesus would do. See, in fact, Jesus left like that demon-possessed man that he healed, he left him behind. And in our world today, people that's mean. Is that what Jesus would do? Scripture says yes. Would Jesus turn posers and sycophants, fair-weather fans, would he turn them away? We just read about that. Teacher, I'll follow wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests. 
Jesus rejected popularity polls. There were huge crowds following him. And Jesus didn't want to have any part of that. What would Jesus do? See, Jesus didn't want any earthly gains. Today, people in popular, secular culture say, you know, it's all about coexisting, man. Can't we all just get along? As a matter of fact, no, we can't. It doesn't mean that we hate other people. It means that we love them. It means that we actually know what Scripture says. Because if we just say, hey, uh, Jewish person over there, you just believe what you want to believe and you'll be fine. Hey, Mormon, you over there? Yeah, I'm cool with what you believe. Yeah, you're going to inherit your own planet and you're going to have some kind of kingdom in heaven and you're actually going to be God in your world and in your religion. And that's okay for you, whatever works, as long as you believe in something. That's what secular culture tells us. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus didn't come to get us to coexist. He came to go to the cross and to die for our sins. And anything else, any other way that Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil or anybody else tells you is a lie. It's a lie. Jesus didn't come to rescue puppies. He didn't come to enable sinners to stay stuck in their sin. A lot of times, Jesus actually caused controversy. And we would say today, controversy. That can't be what Jesus would do. And He did. See, He did that to intentionally intersect His life and His ministry and the Father's will with lost and broken people. Radical transformation as a fragrant aroma unto God. So he got in the boat, crossed over, came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic. Again, maybe it seems really basic. Maybe it seems just obvious. But Jesus was attractive. And when I say was, I'm not saying he stopped being attractive. I'm saying he was in this narrative, in this story. What we see is that Jesus was attractive and he still is. He's still attractive. And I think sometimes as the church, we miss it. We get so wrapped up in our doctrine and our dogma being right. And I'm not saying we water it down or we change it up. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we file off the rough edges. But you don't take the big fish of doctrine and slap somebody in the face with it. You go in for relational equity. That's what Jesus did. Jesus invested in people. He addressed needs. And after people's needs were met, then Jesus would take them off to the side and He'd say, You know what? The kingdom of heaven is near. I'm Messiah. I'm God. And you need to follow me. Maybe not physically. Maybe you don't need to get in the boat and go where I go. But you need to dedicate your life to my teachings and the Father's will. You need to cry out to the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit of God, bless me with the gift of faith. Jesus was attractive. See, people brought their friends their wives, their husbands, their parents, their kids. See, when you're in dire need, dire, 
need, what do we do? We get on our knees and we pray. When the plane struck the Twin Towers, all those people who claimed to be atheists all of a sudden were lighting candles and down on their knees praying to God, a God, some God. See, when we're in dire need, what we do is we call out. And as the church, what we need to do is we need to be in a place where when people are broken and hurting in their lives, is that we're there. That's ministry. See, that's what Jesus did. He made sure that his life intersected with those who were broken and hurting. He practiced practical, tangible, concrete ministry. Do y'all realize the reason why Jesus was 30 years old when he got baptized, when he began his ministry? Why 30? Why not 15? Why not 12? If he's the Son of God, why didn't he start preaching and start the mission when he was able to walk? Why not? He spent 30 years investing relational equity. And then on that day of his baptism, when the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him at his baptism, and the Father was in heaven and said, This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. That was the inauguration, the beginning, the onset of his ministry. And he invested in people's lives. And he preached the good news of the kingdom. And people's lives were radically changed. Relational equity. So I want to ask you, church, how we doing? Is there anybody out there that our lives, as a church and as individuals, we're intersecting with? Because if we're not, I really wonder, are we that fragrant aroma of worship unto God? Are we? Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher, seeing their faith. Just want you all to know something. Jesus recognizes it. He not only recognizes the real deal, but he recognizes the fake stuff. See, a lot of churches, I think, are gathering this morning. And they've got a whole lot of production happening. And I'm not against production. I think that we should do everything with excellence. Not against that. But see, if that's the ceiling, if that's as far as it goes, is that we rock it out and people get excited about the music, but there's no discipleship. There's no words of life. There's no seeds being planted. There's no transformation. There's nobody serving. There's nobody loving. There's no actual ministry. Just feel pretty good because, hey, we just finished a $20 million uh, church building project. And so... Uh, all of you out there probably should be hanging out with us because uh, we're kind of a big deal in these parts. We're kind of a big deal in our own minds, but we're not really doing any ministry. There's not really any transformation. But when these friends, these men, brought their friend to Jesus, what Jesus recognized was authentic faith. See, if we could just get our friend, if we could just get him close to Jesus, if we could just get him close to the ministry of the gospel, if we could just get him close to the word, we know what needs to happen. See, he's got to go from where he is to where God wants him to be. How we doing? 
Are we confident? Are we comfortable individually, collectively as a church? We're good. We don't really need to strive for anything else. Let's strive for mediocrity and then we're sure to always hit the, hit the standard, right? Faith is worship. It's selfless. It's humble. It's compassionate and Jesus notices. Faith produces real results for real people in a real world. How are we doing? Is our worship, is our faith a fragrant aroma unto God? Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh Uh-oh! At this, some of the scribes, the religious elite, said among themselves, He's blaspheming. They didn't have the guts to say it to Jesus. Verse 4, it says, But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, See, verse 3 tells us that Jesus causes controversy. Jesus causes controversy, but not only that, He exposes the haters. Jesus could have sent those demons straight to hell when we back up into chapter 8. When those disciples showed up after the storm and they landed on the shore and the two demon-possessed men came running up, Jesus could have snapped His finger. He could have said a word. He could have just given a thought. And those demons could have gone straight to hell, not into the pigs, but he allowed it. And they went into the pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff, and they all died, and it stirred up controversy. And here Jesus is, and he tells this man who's a paralytic, not get up, not be healed, stand up and walk, but the first thing that Jesus says is your sins are forgiven. Not just for him. See, but because there were these haters that were standing over there, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, he's blaspheming. He's blaspheming. He could answer our prayers the way we want in our time. He could do all the things that we want him to do, and our lives would never be changed, we'd never be transformed. See, the reality is that Jesus exposes posers. He exposes the haters. See, the first thing that those men did is they got angry when they heard Jesus talking. They got angry. You know why? Because their, their religion hadn't solved anything. It didn't remove their hatred. It didn't remove their pride. Just like those feet we looked at earlier, when we cover them up with sprays and powders and inserts in our shoes, all we're doing is covering up the problem. The scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, all of the religious people, all their religion did was cover things up. How are we doing? Is our worship truly a fragrant aroma unto God? Are we just covering things up? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But, so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Miracles. They reveal His identity. 
and His authority. Why don't we see those things today? Why don't we see people walking on water? Why don't we see demons running into a herd of pigs and falling off the edge and dying in the ocean? Why don't we see someone bending over and spitting in some dirt and putting it on somebody's eyes and all of a sudden they're cured of blindness? Or sticking some stuff in their ears and all of a sudden a deaf person can hear? I know you can say, you've seen it watching Benny Hinn. You've watched it on TV. I've seen some faith healers. I've seen the guys walk up and say, be healed. And we've got these people who are plants in the audience get up from their wheelchairs Hallelujah, they can walk again. But in reality, you know, they actually turn people away that actually have legitimate sicknesses, legitimate blindness, legitimate illness. They turn them away. They screen them. And they make sure that the only people who come forward are the plants. So why don't we see it today? Well, I would challenge you if that's your thinking because... I witnessed a miracle today. I don't know about you, but I witnessed a miracle. See, there was a little boy that's my son. And he came into the world broken, riddled with sin because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And because of the Holy Spirit and the desire of his mom and dad and his sisters... And because we have a gracious and compassionate God, He answered our prayers. And little Connor Joshua Kelly was blessed with the gift of faith. And he said, Dad, I need to get baptized. I need to tell everybody that I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. So if you're still waiting for a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to guide you in your life, the truth is, is that just like the Israelites... They had all that stuff. And when we come to the book of Judges, it said in those days, everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. Israel had no king. They had all the miracles in the world. They saw manna falling from heaven. So why don't we see it today? We do see it today. But the reality is is that miracles, oftentimes the kind that we think about, the kind that we pray for, to cure me of my disease, to do this for me, to deliver me from my circumstances. God, don't change my character. I'm not really worried about that. I don't really need to be a different person. I just need you to wake up a little bit and do your part. Because I'm doing mine down here. So does that make you a wise or a fool? And when God brings the storms into your life and everything gets wrecked and you reach up and you shake your fist, out of mercy, God allowed that to happen to you. See, the rain, the storms, the water rises on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the wicked. We do see miracles today. And the reason why they happen is to reveal His identity and His authority as our Savior and as eternally God. In Matthew 7.22, there were a bunch of people that were doing some awesome stuff. And they said, as they approached Jesus at the end, Jesus says, there's going to be a lot of people who prophesy in my name, that do miracles, and then they're going to say, but Jesus, didn't we? And he's going to say, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. 
How are we doing, church? Is our worship, are the things that we're praying for, the miracles that are revealed in and through our church, are they a fragrant God? But so you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, pick up your stretcher, your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. Maybe you're not impressed. Maybe you think, I don't know, maybe Jesus was like those televangelists. Maybe this guy was a plant. Maybe just this was his hometown, and maybe Jesus whispered before this whole thing went down and told those guys, hey, why don't you bring Bob over? I know he can walk just fine, but if you put him on a mat and you drag him over, everybody's going to be awestruck. They're going to go, Jesus, you rock. I want to get in on that. And if that's where you are, then we'll pray for you. See, because the truth of Scripture is that this was a man who was a paralytic Someone who was paralyzed, and when Jesus told him to get up, it says, he got up and he went home. You know how easy it is for us just to gloss that over? Anybody in here ever been paralyzed? Anyone? Anyone not been able to move for days, weeks, months, years on end? Someone who is so desperately dependent that you couldn't feed yourself? that you couldn't take care of your body's hygiene, that you needed someone to take care of every need, every minute of every day. And those friends, by faith, brought that friend to Jesus, and Jesus told him to get up. See, what Jesus started with is He said, I forgive your sins. He didn't start with the physical healing. Because he knew that those guys, those religious people, were standing over there and they were going to say, he's blaspheming. And it would expose the evil. Alright, good singing to start us out. What a great way to see baptismal waters stirred and to see not only any of our children, but to see Pastor Son come and get baptized. He gave his life to the Lord. What an amazing thing to start out. And then we sing, praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. So if you think that the Lord has done nothing good for you today... You can walk out of here and go, I saw a little boy give his life, early in his life, to God. What an amazing thing you saw. Talk about excellent greatness. I'm pretty sure Pastor Kelly would say he saw his excellent greatness this morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll continue with the service. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness, for your mercy and your love. We're so grateful for how you take care of us. It says that if one sparrow were to fall that you know and you care, how much more do you care about us? You created in such a special manner. What a great thing to see how much you love us that you sent your son to die for us even when we knew you not. You formed us in the womb and yet you came down and knew that one day that Connor needed to give his life to you and you died for him on the cross and, he's, and you've done the same thing for each and every one of us. We just praise your name. We're excited to serve an almighty God, a God who loves us so greatly, so much more than we really deserve, so much more than we can even give back to you. We just pray that this service would be honoring and glorifying to your name. And again, we praise your name for your almighty works in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We well, just want to welcome everybody. Uh, we have several visitors and family coming to see uh, Connor get baptized. So it's good to have you all here at Poetry Baptist Church. Uh, some of you have been here before. I know I recognize some of the girls because they come on a wand as some of the grandkids. So um, we're going to read our verse. Uh, it is Jude 24 and 25. I'll let you look at it. Um, I'm not really sure where we're going to pause. So if you kind of watch me, we'll figure it out. But if you want to kind of read through it, uh, 
I think he did this on purpose. He gave me the long verse. Uh, so I'll let you kind of take a look at it. Just because the words are big and bold doesn't mean you have to shout them out. However, if you feel led by the Spirit, feel free to do so. So Jude 24 and 25, let's begin. Now to him who is powerful, keeping you from falling and presenting you before his glorious presence unblemished, a fragrant aroma with exuberant joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and for all ages. Amen. Jude 24 and 25. All right, welcome each other. As you make your way back to your seats, uh, if you'll remain standing, we're going to sing Wonderful Words of Life. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life, words of life and beauty. 
teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the blessed one gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, listen to the loving call. Wonderful words of life, all so freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call. Wonderful words of life, offer pardon and peace to all. Wonderful words of life, Jesus, only Savior, sanctified forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. All right, you may be seated. And kids, it's time for Poetry Pals. Well, hi, everybody. Hi. Pretty exciting day. Yeah. Yeah. So who all here has been baptized? Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to talk about God's Word and the love of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? That's even more exciting than getting baptized. So let's do that. Father God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for these kiddos uh, who are here this morning. Uh, I pray that you would open the ears of their hearts. I pray that they would receive... Uh, the message that your spirit has to deliver. I pray that their faith would be in Jesus Christ alone and not in any of the things of the world, uh, powers of their own, but only in Jesus. And the spirit that he's given um, that causes us to be born again, that gives us new life, that allows us to even worship you. So God, I pray that this morning, not only for these kids, but for everyone who's here. Uh, that the gospel would be heard fresh, that would fall on fertile ground, and that you would be glorified through the ministry and worship of your church. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to show you some slides, because you know I love slides. The first slide I'm going to show you, I want you to tell me, like, without really waiting too long, I want you to just jump right in and tell me what it makes you think of, okay? Here we go. Come on. Y'all are being barbers or whatever else. It makes you think of what? Something stinky. Is that what it makes you think of? Are we allowed to talk about that in church? What, what are some examples, and let's just remember we are in church. Let, what are some examples of things that are stinky? Skunks are stinky. Blue cheese. What's that? Garbage bins are stinky. Um, okay, we'll leave that one out. Uh, what else? Um, 
Rotten eggs are stinky. Connor's pointing to what? Feet. Feet are stinky. It must be in our DNA. Because that's what I thought of. I thought of feet. And so I took a picture of mine this morning and I put it up on the slide for everyone. Ew. Ew. Those aren't really my feet. But that's stinky feet. Stinky feet, you know, it's like the reason why they're stinky is that they smell. Is that usually there's something wrong. You don't just wake up one day and your feet just stink. Usually there's something wrong inside of you. And it causes your feet to stink really bad. Like sweat and the kinds of foods that you eat. And maybe you got fungus or something growing underneath your toenails. And it just makes it, whew, makes it really stinky. Yeah? What, what else is something that's really stinky? I got one. What's that? Your shoes are stinky because your feet are on them. Do y'all know that? Do y'all know that our sin is stinky to God? Did you know that? Is that all throughout Scripture it tells us that there are certain things that are abominations. That means they're detestable. That it's way worse than God just standing up in heaven and going, "Oh, it's worse than that." It, we we can't even stand in God's presence. We can't be anywhere near Him. Because of our sin. And do you know what some people try to do with our sin? We try to cover it up. What are some ways that you can cover up stinky feet or odors? You can wash them, yeah? You can put your shoes on and just kind of cover up the smell. You can put on socks. Yeah, well, I have a sock here. This is the one that I wore yesterday when I was working in the yard for about two or three hours. So, does anybody want to smell Pastor Kevin's sock? Anybody? You do? Well, we're not going to do that because Connor's just trying to be silly. So, nobody wants to sell somebody else's stinky sock, right? We want to smell stuff that's really good. So, instead of just covering up stinky things with sprays and like inserts that you put in the bottom of your shoe that have charcoal or whatever to absorb the stinky odors. We want to get rid of it altogether, right? So how do we get rid... You can get rid... You can wash your feet, right? So how do we get washed? How do we get washed so that we don't stink before God? We get saved. And how does that happen? No, you get saved. I guess we're going to have to undo yours. What's God? Ask God into your heart. What's that? You have to. You have to do what? It's not asking God into your heart. You have to confess and you have to repent. Right? Very good, Noah. That's okay. And what does it mean to repent? What does it mean? means we're going to turn our back on our sin party. party. That's what it means to repent. That's what it means to repent, right? So we don't just want to cover it up, all of the stinky sins in our life. So did you know that when we repent and we follow Jesus, did you know that what happens, and God says it in Scripture, is that God takes our sin and He removes it so far away from us, He said that it's as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Very far. Very, very, very far. We got three varies. A hundred thousand varies. 
Did you know that... Did you know... Okay, okay. Did you know that you can never... If you start going east, you never stop going east? You never start going west if you go east. God doesn't say that as far as the north is from the south, right? Because if you go north, you can go up to the North Pole, and then when you get up to the top of the earth, what do you start doing? You start going south again. So God's pretty smart. He's the one that created everything. And He's the one that said, I'm separating your sin as far away from you as the east is from the west. And so you could go east for infinity, and you'd never get to the west. And that's how far your sin is removed from you when you turn your back on your sin party, you repent, and you trust in Jesus, you're blessed with the gift of faith, born again by the Spirit of God, and then we get baptized to tell everybody, hey everybody, guess what? I'm going to follow Jesus your whole life. That's right. Isn't that exciting? So y'all just read this. Now to Him who is powerful, keeping you from falling and presenting you before His glorious presence, unblemished. That word, unblemished, in the Greek, is actually the name of a flower that's found in India, and it smells really, really good. This isn't the actual flower, because that flower is super expensive, but I want you to take a sniff. What do you think that smells like? Does it smell like stinky socks, or does it smell good? Does that smell good? Y'all got to come closer. I can't stretch out to everybody. You got to stretch closer. There you go. Noah stuck his nose all the way on it. There you go. I hope you're not allergic to that. That his glorious presence, we're presented to God unblemished, like a fragrant aroma. And it says, with exuberant, do y'all know what it means to be exuberant? Who wants to show me an example of what it means to be exuberant? Jack knows. Jack, when you're exuberant, what does that look like? Exactly. That's exactly what exuberant looks like. See, Jesus is so excited that when we're born again by the Spirit, Jesus actually does a happy dance. He's filled with joy. And the angels in heaven celebrate that someone who's dead, a sinner, has been born again by the Spirit, and they're raised to walk in newness of life, and all of the angels and Jesus go, what? Woo! It's exuberant. He is the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and for all ages. Amen. Isn't that exciting? All right. Well, I hope you all think that's exciting, because that's your message for today. And if you've never been baptized, if you've never been blessed with the gift of faith, if you've never turned your back on your sin party, did you know that you have an opportunity to do that today? That you can say, Jesus, I want to turn my back on my sin party, and I want to follow you just like Connor, just like Zach, just like Liam, just like Katie. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And I do pray that for any of these kiddos and not just for them, but for anyone who's here today, that maybe they've heard the gospel preached a thousand times and it's never truly shattered the stone heart that they have, that they're stuck in their sin. But God, the reality is, the truth is, is today things can be different. Today's things can be different because your spirit is present here in this place, in this church, a people who not only 
want to love you, but we want to serve you, and we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here, to pursue, win, and disciple the lost, the deluded, and the disillusioned for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. As they get their uh, Poetry Pals bags, I'm going to ask everyone to do a little differently. I want y'all to stand again. We're going to sing, Here I Am to Worship. <clears throat> what a great song. It's a very prayerful song. Let's just be your prayer before, uh, before Pastor comes to speak. Are you ready to worship? Are you ready to worship Him in song? Are you ready to worship Him in the service as we open the Scriptures? Is your heart ready to worship Him in communication with Him? Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. To bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days, are so highly exalted. Glorious in heaven above Humbly you came to the earth you created All for love's sake became poor Here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. All right, we're going to sing that through again. I'm going to ask Angela to start us out, and then she'll drop out and just the guitars and the violin. Lift your voices to the Lord. This is a great song. This isn't for me to hear you sing, or your neighbor, because I don't really... Right now, I'm not worried whether you sing well or not. I don't always sing well. This is a prayer an almighty God. We've had a great morning. And I just want to know, are you going to be that fertile ground? The seed is about to be cast. The messenger's coming. He's walking down and he's casting that seed. 
Right now he's casting it. And it's up to us whether we prepared our heart. We can cast that seed all day long as farmers, and if we didn't prepare the ground, it's not going to do anything. But you know what? Someone's not coming to prepare you. You have to prepare your heart. So I'm just asking, just between you and the Lord, let this be a prayer. So Andrew, if you'll start us out, and then the rest of the instruments will keep playing. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Amen. Y'all may be seated. And wickedness in their hearts. His ministry has power. And as his bride, the church, our ministry better have power. When Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith, is there any power in your ministry? If we were to take someone who is lost, and we were to take you, and we were to put you two together and say, tell me about the things that are happening in your life. Say, well, there's really not any difference between mine and Jerry's. There's not really any difference between the saved person and the lost person. There's not really any power in the way that I'm living. I don't really have a ministry because I've just kind of been waiting for the pastor to say, Hey, I recognize you. I want you to be in charge of this over here. Instead of me saying, you know what? When I got up out of those baptismal waters, I told Jesus, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. And I don't need any certificate from men. I don't need to go to a seminary in order for them to tell me I'm smart enough or that I'm good enough. I don't need somebody in a church to say, hey, I like you. You're okay. You know what you do? Just like I tell our girls, I say, you chase hard after Jesus all the days of your life. And if someday there's a young man who when you look out your peripheral vision, you look out your side view mirror, and he's struggling to keep up, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, that might be the man that God has for you. Maybe. Are you waiting? Does your ministry have power? See, it intersects and impacts lives in tangible ways. Jesus simply spoke and it was done. I want you all to know something. Is that helping isn't really help unless it helps. Perfect. Your mind should be blown right now. Helping isn't help unless it helps. I've been involved with so many churches, so many ministry organizations, so many mission trips where we've gone to places and we've done things and at the end of the day, everybody feels warm and fuzzy and you know what? The people that we served are in the exact same place as they were when we arrived. That's not ministry. 
That's called voluntourism. See, you go over to a foreign country and you feel good because you held, a, you held a starving baby and you took a picture. And you send it home and everybody on Facebook is like, oh, that's just so wonderful that you would take time out of your life and you would go over there. And then you're sitting there and you feel all glowy. Ah, boy, that feels good. What did you do? Who did you really help? Whose life was transformed? Well, when I went over there, there were some pastors with us. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what you get paid for, Pastor Kevin. I'm not actually supposed to speak words of life and truth into people. I'm not supposed to look for opportunities. I'm not supposed to be in prayer every minute of every day, continuously. Asking that God would erupt into the lives of people who are lost and desperate and broken? That's not my job. It is your job. It's your privilege. It's your ministry. Ministry has power. In John chapter 14, 12 through 14, Jesus said that we, the church, would accomplish even greater works than these. What are these? Think about the things that Jesus did. He's not saying that we would go to the cross and that we would do something better than the salvation that He bought us, the price that He paid. He's saying the works that He did on earth, that we would do greater things than these. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? In Ephesians 3.20... Paul writes and he says, To him, God, Christ, who is able to do infinitely. How do you measure infinite? You can't. He's able to do infinitely more than we, the church, bother to ask or can even imagine. If you took all of us together and we came up with the craziest scheme of how we could intersect and impact the lives of lost people... God would say on a scale of 1 to infinity, that's like .02. The best that you can come up with, it doesn't even touch what I want to do. And yet we put this cap on what God can accomplish. Well, you know, golly, God, I'm not really sure. I don't know, we just don't have the money in the budget for that. Golly. I guess we can't do it. I guess we can't do it because we only serve God Almighty. And if we would get down on our knees and we would pray and we would ask and we would imagine, God would do infinitely more. Infinitely more. Infinitely more. Does our ministry have power? Is it a fragrant aroma? Get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were terrified. Ministry rocks the world and glorifies God. When the crowd saw this, the hometown crowd, when they saw this, they were terrified. The word that we get phobia from, it's a terror kind of fear. When someone suffers from a phobia, it's not like, ooh, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with that. It's, it's kind of like a completely irrational fear. Someone who's afraid of grass might think that stepping on grass, that the grass is going to wrap around their legs and suck them down into the earth and they're going to choke to death and die. 
That's phobia. When these people saw what Jesus did, phobos, they were terrified. Terrified. See, ministry rocks the world and it glorifies God. It was the hometown crowd they noticed and they gave glory to God from whom this authority was given to men. I don't know if you remember our sermon series a while back in Proverbs, Connecting Dots. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of intimacy, that's knowledge, wisdom, life skill, and correction. See, what Jesus did right there terrified them. And it created an opportunity that they could go one way or they could go another. So you can just be terrified and go, and you can just leave it right there. Or you can say, there's something up with that guy. He's not just a man. Everything that Scripture has said about him, all the things that people have said about him, we're the people from his hometown. We've known Jesus for 30 years. He's never gotten into a fist fight. He's never stolen anything from anyone. See, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon at the beginning of it. I talked about statistics. And in American Christians, American Christians, over half of us don't believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Then what good is the cross? Why do we have them decorating the walls in our houses? Why do we wear them as jewelry? Because it's cool? That's the end thing? I'm going to have a cross wall, but, you know, I, you know, the guy and all, you know, I don't really think that he, I don't think he accomplished anything. He was, you know, he's a good dude. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Save the kitten out of the tree. No. Are we revealing Christ, making Him known? Are we drawing those far away into His radiant light? Does our ministry rock? Does it cause people to glorify God? Is it a fragrant aroma? This is the last one, folks. Hang in there. Ministry convicts sinners. Several weeks back in a sermon I said, Everyone responds. Everyone responds, some by grace through faith, some stay in their rebellion. We told those little kids this morning that salvation doesn't come through the baptismal waters. It doesn't even come from confessing our sins. It comes from repentance. Turning our backs on our sin, on our selfish desires. Repentance is required. And I want you all to know something, that it's not just required of you individually. It's required of us collectively, corporately, as members of the Bride of Christ, as His church. So when you think about that, that some respond in faith, and some just say, yeah, that's a really nice story, Jesus. I'm a little scared. I'm a little terrified but I'm okay with staying in my sin because it seems, it seems preferable to actually pursuing you, living for your agenda instead of my own. So which one are you? 
Now to him who is powerful, keeping you from falling and presenting you before his glorious presence, unblemished, a fragrant aroma with exuberant joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and for all ages. Amen. Jesus went to the cross and he died there to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. A friend of mine, about a month ago, I was talking to him and he said, I'd heard the gospel preached a thousand times. I'd heard it preached a thousand times. And I sat down with a pastor who was stumbling and bumbling trying to present it to me. And he said, but the Holy Spirit still worked in that moment. And he said, I was into drugs. I was into heavy drinking. I beat my wife. I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to abuse my children. And when I sat there in that moment, and this fumbling and bumbling pastor said, do you realize that today can be different? Do you all realize that today can be different? Christ, we're a fragrant aroma to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the eternal Logos, you're the Word. And that through Scripture, that your identity and your authority are revealed. Your grace and your compassion and your goodness And thankfully, we don't have to stay stuck in our sin. Then in the same way that you told that paralytic his sins were forgiven, you said the same thing to us. And you went to a cross, and you died there to prove it to us. So we wouldn't have to think that it was empty speak. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your ministry to us. And I pray, Lord, today that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of your church, that at least one life today would be impacted. That at least one seed would be planted. That you promise that your word never returns void. And so we have that promise and we pray expectantly, God, that you'll answer that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.